Hey, how's it going? You are tuned in to True Crit Season 1. We're getting near the end. We have been talking, in case you didn't know, <laughs> we have been talking like a couple of fangirls about Steely Dan, diving into the discography, raking over the coals, discovering the true meanings of every single song that Walter Becker and Donald Fagan have ever written. And this week, we approach the end. We are now at Morph the Cat, which is the third Donald Fagan record from 2006. Let's jump in. It feels strange to me that he recorded an album in 2006. I don't know why. In my mind, 2006 was five years ago. No. No, it wasn't, was it? <laughs> it was nearly a decade and a half ago. I've been on a real journey of discovery. It's been a bit of a roller coaster for me, this album. It took me a really long time to even like just listening to. I listened really superficially to start with. And it just was kind of pleasant background music. And a bit like Everything Must Go was for me, it kind of insidiously crept into my subconscious and I found myself singing the songs. I found myself singing Bright Nightgown and I found myself singing Mary Shut the Garden Door. But it wasn't until I actually sat down and, I mean, I should know better, John. <laughs> I should know better actually sitting down and reading the words and learning about what the songs mean. Well, it's actually quite a dark album. It's not the jolly background music I thought it was. It's, yes, it's a very dark album. It's really dark. Um, not as dark as Katie Lied. Not quite, but it's like, it's up there. So Donald wanted to make a trilogy of albums. So his um, Nightfly was written from the perspective of, of a young man. Yeah. Kamakiri Ad was set more in middle age. So this one naturally is about death. I don't think it's outlandish to say that this is in certainly in part a concept album about 9-11 and the aftermath of 9-11. Yeah, 100%. It has got 9-11 all over it. Yeah, a cheery subject. It kind of stands out because it makes it a very New York record. Yeah, and the first song, Morph the Cat, there's so much about the imagery and then the sound that they've got, the sound that he has of those trumpets, which sound like car horns. You can just imagine being in like Manhattan and you know, the yellow taxis going by. It's that kind of like beeping sound of the horns. And then Morph the Cat is this kind of... I always imagine Morph the Cat to be like the Thanksgiving parade they have with the big blimps. I know what you mean. I think more of like the Cheshire Cat from Alice in Wonderland. Ah, okay. But, okay. But very kind of... It's interesting that he uses a cat to me because obviously like a cat can be quite calming, but a cat is a bit of a kind of trickster as well. Yes, yes. And it is a bit of a trickster. There's this idea of this kind of like cat spirit just oozing. And that's one of the words that he uses to describe yeah. this cat spirit oozing into the city, slinky.
found Morthacat, the song, made me think about the video for Black Hole Sun oh, wow. by Soundgarden. Yeah. So because it's, I think it's about propaganda, I think, post 9-11 propaganda. He's got this really contrasting imagery where he's talking about really sort of overtly joyous things like Harold Arlen songs, who Harold Arlen, who wrote Over the Rainbow, and my personal favourite, Lydia the Tattoo Lady. I would sing it, but I won't. <laughs> <laughs> Lydia, oh Lydia, say have you met Lydia, Lydia the Tattoo Lady. But then, yeah, like the creepy stuff oozing down the heating duct, that always puts me in mind of, and this will appeal to people of a certain age, of that episode of The X-Files, Tombs. Oh, you ever, yeah. You know what I mean? That's what I keep yeah. thinking of. He's talking about, which is terrifying. It's really terrifying. Well, but, but yeah, you're right about this Cheshire cat idea, but the smile, this kind of rictus grin. Because mm. he says like Christmas without the chintzy stuff. Mm -hmm. And I kind of feel like the city is in this like false sense of security and mm. this cat is giving i don't know some kind of false sense of like unconditional love or that everything's going to be okay yeah because he says like we well, bought yourself a crazy hat like you had a mango cooler and it's just all these like calming things. Mm, like really nice things. Is Morph the Cat, here we go. <laughs> I've just come <laughs> up with this. Is Morph the Cat like the surveillance state? So mm. actually it seems quite innocuous. But, yeah. Um, but actually Morph the Cat is, we're here to protect you. Yeah. But actually we're watching you. We're watching everything you do. And we're actually not here to protect you. We're here to spy on you. Like the paranoia of post 9-11 New York. The Patriot uh, Act. Yes. There you go. Where's the cat? The Patriot Act. Well, I didn't think we'd, <laughs> didn't think we'd get here so fast. Wow. wow. <laughs> it's really creepy. Mm. It is. And it's it's so disarming because an overall overarching the whole record is such a smooth sounding record. Yeah, um, I found it, it really background music-y, really inoffensive when you just sort of listen to it superficially. Yeah, I've gone back and forth on this. I can't decide if it's overproduced, but is there such a thing as an overproduced Steely Dan record? No. <laughs> no, that is part of the genetics of yes. Donald Fagan, isn't it? It's mm -hmm. part of how he likes his music to be presented. Exactly. And of course, it would be remiss of us not to mention the Grammy that it won for Best Surround Sound Album. Yeah. For Elliot Shiner. Elliot Shiner. And it is beautifully mixed. Yeah. To with an inch of its life. Mm. It's, it's very pleasant to listen to with headphones on. Yeah. There's a lot going on. Like the playing is phenomenal. Mm. Yeah. Once, yeah. There's... Once you actually get into it, if, mm. like you say, if you just leave it on in the background, it doesn't, it's a record that you actually have to really sit down with. Yeah. Agreed. And it's super jazzy. Really jazzy, right? I think that's the thing that you realize when you listen to it, that it is very much a jazz record. Mm -hmm. um, in, you know, in the same way that you have to sit down with a jazz record, you can put jazz on in the background and it just happens. But when you actually sit down with a jazz record and you listen to the interplay yeah. and you listen to all of the different harmonies and melodies mm. that are going on, mm. it suddenly kind of transforms itself into this really 
well-written records. Mm. A lot of solos. Yes, I love a solo, John. Yeah, me too. The guitar solo on on this one, on Morph the Cat, it's like super twisty. Yeah. Just interesting. Just like a nice tone. It's not these like really well thought out solos, like the stuff that we've heard on like previous Steely Dan Mm -hmm. songs. There are a couple of moments if you listen, because they, they fade out a lot of the songs. It's not like very few grand finishes. And if you listen really carefully, you can hear them like noodling around, like they're really enjoying themselves. Yeah. Which I really love to hear. The music they make is quite clinical and it is so measured. And when you hear them really enjoying themselves, it's yeah. a real pleasure, I think. It's like a bunch of well-seasoned players. Could you imagine being at the top of your game? No. As a musician, <laughs> as a musician, and then just being with another load of musicians who are also at the top of their game and just being able to make incredible music like that and just fuck around in the studio. Oh, it, they, they, what that joy. Would be, that would be a dream for me. Yeah. Like, yeah. I've we tried... could do the, tri- we could play the triangle, John. <laughs> I've tried to play guitar. I've had a period in my life where I was a singer songwriter. Oh, and... John. You make music now. You make electronic music. Yeah, that's true. And it's very good, by the way, everybody <laughs> listening. It's all right. It's very good. Talking we of a band at the top of their game, let's talk about a powerful all-woman jazz band. Ah, oh, H-Gang. H-Gang. Do you say H or H? H. Oh, I say H. You're... Oh, from Essex and I. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Do you know what this song makes me think of a little what? bit? blues brothers okay interesting because it's like a band that has been formulated in jail yeah and she kind of puts together i say she there is a name denise 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 is uh eight months locked up and she's like right when i get out of here i'm putting a band together mm-hmm. i hear denise is back on the outside that she's got a Gets the Gong Sisters in. The Gong Sisters. <laughs> I reckon the Gong Sisters are like the rhythm section. What I love particularly about this is we've talked about this many times about Steely Dan's attitude towards women. It does soften a lot with Donald Fagan's music and he has much more tender, I suppose, his love songs, I guess. He has recorded some actual love songs. Yeah. Um, and there's one on this record. The is i think no there is okay okay we might have some different opinions (laughs) there was a an interview by ira robbins in newsday in 2006 where dom made a really interesting observation about women about the difference between his music and the music of steely dan and he was basically said steely dan is guys without girls wow which is bang on really but if you think about it 2006 both of them are married both of them have children and you know that sort of youthful cynicism about women is gone and i kind of hope that mrs fagan clipped him around the ear a few times for some (laughs) of his slightly wrong opinions yeah rose darling yes oh god that bloody song (laughs) 
He must have got some shit for that. At some I point. hope he did. But yeah, H Gang, they sound like a bunch of hard asses, don't they? Get off the stage, son, unless yeah. you're ready for a kick fight. They're going to fucking, they're going to they fuck just, them up. They're going to fuck up whoever played before them. They're going to just completely eviscerate the crowd because they're just so fucking good yeah i agree with you on your take on this one but there are a couple of other theories kicking around the the internet so h gang it's about heroin (laughs) quick have a a drink (laughs) yeah that's like the easy because it's h so it's like slamming into hinktown is the needle exchange right okay um but then also it's like an allegory for for 70s rock bands okay but that's quite boring i prefer this idea of this like wild girl group yeah that are just like fucking powerful because of the music that they make so one thing i've noticed about this album is light the word light it's pops up i have no idea if there's any significance to this whatsoever and it could very well be me massively reading into things too much but there's turn on the floodlights in this song and then light is mentioned a couple of times throughout this album and i wonder whether is this like a little thread Mm. i've picked this out a couple of times the word light maybe some optimism oh god because it needs it this album bloody hell (laughs) well this Um, is very this is quite a jolly song. This is yeah. a very jolly song. I love the overdubbing of Don's voice in the chorus. And I really love the, there's like a call and return of his vocals and then the trumpet. Even today folks are talking about the incredible sounds they heard. Here comes the H-Gang. It sounds like there's flute in the background there as well. That kind of, I'm sure I can hear a flute. It doesn't say there is, but the internet's probably wrong. Like a muted trumpet. No, the internet's wrong, John. That's what it is. Yeah. yeah. And there's that beautiful, like, languid sax solo from Walter Weisskopf as well. And then we've got a guitar solo. So there's two guitarists credited on this song. Um, Wayne Krantz, of course, who he toured with them. Apparently, I haven't been able to find it, but apparently there's an amazing live video of Wayne Krantz doing the solo in Green Earrings live. Oh, wow. And apparently it's like face melting and really amazing. But there's also, sorry. I was just going to say, Wayne Krantz has got some really amazing solo records. And like he's absolutely phenomenal guitar player yeah he's amazing yeah he's, he's really good on this album but i don't know who does the solo because it's either him or hugh mccracken sorry hugh mccracken you have the funniest name in rock <laughs> yeah 
yeah i did try to find out like who does the solos on what songs but that information's just not out there no there's not a huge amount of information out there about this album and even in some of the books that i've got as well there's very little about the album i think it's a shame because this is actually a really good album yeah i've come to the conclusion that it's probably a lot better than people realize because it's actually really well formed and actually really well considered yeah i would say if i was going to be honestly critical about this record that the songs are too long yeah well yeah but it's steely dan well it's not steely dan i know it's not steely dan sorry steely dan there's one song under like five minutes or six Mm. minutes they are really long songs and for a long time it felt like a bit of a slog to Mm. get through them i think it's one of those albums that i suppose it's something that you would appreciate in a nerdy way i would say you definitely have to get nerdy with this record if that's your bag then this is a really good one to get nerdy about yeah if you just want to hear like amazing playing Mm. and just all of his like melodies on this record are just like every song i'm just like how do you even write that that's like a big take that i have you know takeaway that i have from this record like yeah how do you even write those melodies i think the next song what i do it's a real clever homage to what i'd say by ray charles i think yeah. this is probably the only one hmm, there's probably two on here that aren't about 9-11 <laughs> and this is one of them blew me away when i realized this song is an imagined well we don't know if it's imagined but I feel that it's imagined, an imagined conversation with Ray Charles. Yeah. And Ray Charles just being really humble, but also almost like supernatural. Oh. Because he's just like, you know, that's what I do. That's in my DNA. Yeah, it's pretty basic stuff, um, though, to be honest. Do you you know, so? be nice to her. <laughs> be nice to her and you can have sex with her. <laughs> Well, basic yeah make her feel secure well thanks very much ray charles <laughs> i was thinking of it on a more than just getting somebody into bed okay that's what he is on the planet for is to be this nice guy and to get all this like love back oh okay because it says well you bring some church but you leave no doubt as to what kind of love you love to shout about And so it's like, he's just creating this kind of like feedback. Maybe I'm thinking like way into this. No, you're wrong. (laughs) This is my vindication for my take on the Fez, which is I want to be your holy man. Well, you bring some church, but you leave no doubt as to what kind of love you you love to shout about is, oh my God, it's about sex. Yeah. That's what it's about. When I read that line, I was like, yes, (laughs) I'm right. I think it's a fairly simple song. It's quite a sexy song. It's about, you know, if you want that sugar to pour. I love that line. Yeah. And I love that it's, you know, the really reverby guitar. I find it quite a modern production, actually, Mm. for them. I said you were wrong. That was bad of me. Well, no. (laughs) I, I think that I was trying to, like, elevate it above kind of carnal pleasure. But well, you're right. Thank you. This is a completely 
<laughs> like a hundred percent like carnal exploration of Ray Charles' psyche. Exactly. Psyche. I'm gonna put a star on my chart. It's really soulful and mellow and yeah. it's the only problem I have with it is Donald's delivery always sounds a little bit sleazy to me. And that line, if you want that sugar to pour, before I knew that this was about Ray Charles, I thought it was a song from the perspective of like a pickup artist. Right. Okay. Where he was like teaching another guy how to pick up girls. <laughs> and it is pretty basic stuff. It's like make her feel secure. <laughs> like, thanks. You really respect me. <laughs> Let's have sex. <laughs> Especially qualified to keep him satisfied. <laughs> it's what I do. It's what I do. It's what I do. I find this in the context of this album in terms of the trilogy, it's interesting because it's like a much older person. Yeah. It's like in his mid 60s when he made this record. Yeah. That's why I probably find it a little bit creepy <laughs> if you um, want that sugar to pour. Old people have libidos as well, Liz. I know. Um, <laughs> very supportive of older people <laughs> we're like, doing we're, it. We're big sponsors of like Viagra programs. <laughs> Listen, everyone has sex. It's normal. Yeah. <laughs> Let's normalise geriatric sex. Come on, guys. In fact, you know, it if you want to bang to this podcast, crack on. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, sure. Sorry. Should we move on? Let's move on. Bright nightgown. This is probably like the song that like breaks me a little bit. In what way? Because the amount of times they say bright nightgown. <laughs> I'm just like, stop fucking saying stop it. Stop saying it. Just please go like one minute without saying bright nightgown, please. He can't. He can't. He can't. He can't. And I misheard this as bright white gown for a long time. Mm-hmm. But it's the same thing, really, isn't it? Bright yeah, nightgown. Pretty obvious what this one's about. A little bit. Once you read the words, it's obvious. Yeah. Is it about immortality, though? I don't know. I think it's about it's about death, oh, for sure. Yeah. yeah, like there's no doubt about that. I wonder whether it's the, the, the protagonist of the song is choosing how he wants to go. Because he's in a dream, isn't he? He's having a dream. He has a dream that he's got really high temperature and his mother's by his bed. He's like a child. Oh, okay. So he's a child and he's ill. It says mom. Mm. That's like what an American kid like. Yeah, it's childlike, isn't it? And everyone's like around him and they're praying for him. And he sees the fella in the bright nightgown. It is playing vividly in my head, this song and, right now. Yeah, yeah me too. <laughs> it's, I actually really like it. I know you're not a fan of the actual name of the song, but actually I think it's quite a... Well, it's not the it's name. Quite it's quite a just, cool little... It's just the repetition of that word. 
It kind of, um, I don't know why it just gets to me. Because then the you, second verse, he's an adult. Yeah. And going out. I'm assuming he's getting money out of the ATM to get drugs. Yeah. Like my baby wants money. to bash, bash some lines. Mm-hmm. And then he's mugged. And then again, death is there. But then it gets like really like metaphysical in the third verse. So I think, because he's talking about, he's taking however many milligrams of Chromax. And milligrams of Chromax, yeah. yeah. Which isn't a real drug, is it? I didn't think it was. No, it's not a real drug. I did look for it. As soon as I saw that name, I was like, he made that up. Yeah, he's definitely made that up. Because also he calls himself Phonus Quaver as well. (laughs) He he credits himself as this completely like fake musician on the album as Phonus Quaver, which I love. That's like the harmonica player, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. The marimba. The marimba actually on this tune is played by Phonus Quaver, which is a pseudonym (laughs) for him. Love that. God, I love that. I love it when he does that. Bless him. But Chromax, so I thought it was maybe something similar to DMT because he talks about seeing fairy things. Like, are they the DMT elves? So it's something really super... We see like past Hebrew kings and the birth of humankind. Yeah. But Chronax, because Chrone, like Chronos, like time. Oh, God, I didn't even go there, John. (laughs) Love it. So that's why I started to think about it being about mortality like he's constantly just in these situations where a mortal would die and be gone but he just keeps seeing the fella in the bright nightgown yeah but then he says you can't fight against it no but but he seems to be he seems to be fighting yes but the final verse ends it's quite celebratory when he has a victory hug with the fella in the bright nightgown. But he comes around. Death is embracing him, isn't I he? I think he's like picked yeah. his way to go. He's like, am I going to die from natural causes? Am I going to die from being mugged? Or am I going to take a completely ridiculous hallucinogenic drug that completely bends time and my mind and die that way? Is that the way I want to go? Yeah, after seeing like the history of the world. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this album's ridiculous. <laughs> and... This song is the most arranged track on the record. Yeah. A- it's really cool. This like syncopated vocals and yeah. and everything with the repetition. There must be a reason for the repetition of Bright Nightgown. It's kind of, I guess it's it's hypnotic. Yeah, almost like an incantation yeah. in a way. Like yeah. a summoning death. Yeah. Don't say Bright Nightgown three times in front of the mirror. Oh, you're fucked. You're fucked. <laughs> You haven't got any Chronax to, <laughs> <laughs> to, take, to numb the, the pain. Way out. Just get some DMT. Yeah. yeah don't, don't take DMT. Don't oh take God. drugs. <laughs> um, it's got loads of like written horn lines in it. Mm-hmm. It's got like a lot of interesting kind of guitar riffs, 
structured guitar playing. Do you think that maybe, I have no idea whether this is true or not, do you think this is one of those songs that sort of came about by them just mucking around and then no. just kind of found a little groove? Do you not think? Because it, it feels like they were I like, oh, this is like cool. based on a groove. Mm. But I think, I for me, it feels like there's a lot of stuff written out for this mm-hmm. just because of how arranged it is. Because I've been listening to the reissue of Sign of the Times by Prince. Oh, nice. It's a really like Prince-like track. Even the vocals, everything feels like a bit like something that Prince, maybe not lyrically, because, you know, it's, it's pretty way out there. Mm. But it's just got that feel to it for me. It's an interesting song. Yeah, I wasn't expecting to write DMT elves down <laughs> today. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, should we move on? Yeah, this is the love song. I thought this is what you'd say was a love song. I don't think this is a love song, John. A great pagoda of fun. So mm. a pagoda, a, it's like a Buddhist temple. Yes. We're suddenly into this kind of... Him saying, like, look, like, whatever's happening in the world, let me take you to this, like, peaceful place and we'll build life together. Mm. Like, how is that not? There's so much violence in this song. But that's the contrast, isn't it? So this makes me feel like When the Wind Blows. I think there's another song which is even more like that. I mean, that animation. Yeah, that I know Raymond, what you mean. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That, I know exactly what you mean. Not that, da- well, David Bowie. David Bowie did that, didn't he? Did no. he do a song about that? Oh, I'm thinking of the snowman. Yeah, you're thinking of the snowman. <laughs> what an idiot. I think Mary Shut the Garden Door is more like When the Wind Blows, but we'll get to that. Okay, we will get to that. So, the stars but, are bright tonight. The air is sweet. Though summer's over now. So, 9-11. 9/11. Summer's over. There's a strange new music in the street. I just have to point out, when he sings You and I, he makes me think of Kermit the Frog. <laughs> and I'm not even sure if I want you to keep that statement in the podcast, because God forbid. <laughs> I'm sure you're going to give a flying fuck what I think of his voice, but yeah, it always makes me think, You and I, it sounds like Kermit the Frog. It reminds me of Andy Kaufman, Tony Clifton. You and I. Yeah. When I I did write in capital letters, sorry, Don, I love you and your voice, just in case he listens. I think the vocals on this song are really strong. I think the melody that he sings is just amazing. Just the way he twists and turns through the lines are just awesome. And just that bit where he's like... It's a really twisted song. It but is. It just feels like really caring. Yeah. I found a little bit of a threatening tone in there saying, when we fight, if we argue, then those hungry wolves close in. We're one thoughtless word away. And also, if we fail, that these wolves will fall away and we'll find we're in the realm of psycho mums and dying stars and dirty bombs. It's like, we've got to be nice to each other. We've got to maintain this facade or the horrors of what's going on outside our great pagoda of fun will 
come in. There's this real threatening tone to it. So the word light again comes up in this song. Yeah. They replace the Twin Towers with the Freedom Tower. Yeah. And they shine lights out of the Freedom Tower. Yeah. To represent the Twin Towers. This is such a New York heavy album. And I wonder whether some of this imagery sort of alludes to that. Mm. I did wonder whether these people in this song are actually quite deluded and they've been taken in by Morph the Cat and they have to remain kind of unquestioning and block everything out to survive, to comply almost. What I find really amazing is, and there's a couple of points in the album where he does this, is where he delivers really awful words with such a light touch. I've listened to this album loads of times and I never once noticed that he says poison skies and severed heads <laughs> in this song. Yeah, that's probably like his most like violent lyrics ever. Yeah. And it's dirty very, bombs as well. The concept, yeah. the idea of psycho mums and dying stars and dirty bombs. It's really, really scary, dark song. I don't mm. think it's a love song. I think it's something much darker. It's about the aftermath of 9-11 and the fear that people were feeling about some people didn't even realise at that point. That's how America was seen by some people. And it must have been quite... Oh, fuck. I just thought of something. Oh, oh. Okay. I'm retracting my love song theory. Oh, live on True Crypt. The Great Pagoda of Fun is the American dream, isn't it? Oh, oh God. That's what he's saying. It's like, if you don't hold me tight, if we don't hold each other tight, it's all going to go wrong. That's the American dream, isn't it? That's yeah. the whole thing, the whole frontier. That is a country that believes is writing its own story. Mm. And it's ingrained in the constitution. Like it's all there. I absolutely love it when we get a take live. <laughs> <laughs> I think you're right, John. Because then he says around the neighborhood, they stare and grin as if they live their lives just to help maintain the state we're in. Yeah. Everybody has this, I don't want to say the word delusion because it's people's lives, but then having this, I can't imagine what it was must but the be idea like of, for that the to idea, happen. Because, because America has this belief that it's like a peaceful country, doesn't it? Like there's this idea that they are the protectors of the world. Mm. That country being a pagoda, being a Buddhist temple. <gasps> Mad imagery, isn't it? Yeah. Huh. Okay. I think we cracked it. <laughs> we cracked the case. Well, in that case, Security Jones. <laughs> I love this song. It makes me laugh so much. It's just hilarious to me. For, as a huge fan of Nothing to Declare, the Australian Border Force show, this is just hilarious to me. And also he fancies the border security officer at the airport and he's flirting with her by saying, I ain't no terrorist. <laughs> Imagine using that as a pickup line. The fact that he gets turned on by being padded down. Yeah, loves it. He's going to consent like... to a cavity search. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like he's just waiting for the rubber gloves to come Yeah, out. he's bag up for it. 
That um, reminds me, I suddenly thought of Derek Smalls in Spinal Tap <laughs> at the airport <laughs> with his cucumber wrapped in a tin foil. It's got that kind of sauciness. Yes, I think it's really funny, this song. And it's a bit of light relief, I think. But the problem I had when I was reading properly, when you listen to this superficially, you can kind of work out what they're singing about. It's not something you have to really analyse this song. But then when you read the words, 9-11 has obviously influenced this particular song because it's like, honey, you know, I ain't no terrorist. Confiscate my shoes, my cell phone. Yeah. You know, that's a very sort of post-9-11 thing, isn't it? I thought as well, like maybe he misses that flight and instead of it, maybe the flight could have been, because he's so desperate at the beginning that he, because he says, well, I guess I needed a miracle if I was going to make my flight. Mm. And so he really wants to, yeah. He wants to get to it and then he meets Security Joan and purposely misses the flight. Mm. Maybe he escapes a fate. It felt a bit morbid checking the boarding gates. Boards at C13, doesn't yeah, it? And I just thought, yeah, Do you know wow. what? I'm not going to go there. I really don't want to rake that kind of thing over because that's really dark. But, you know, it could have been. It could have been one of those serendipitous things that he, you know, hooked up with the security border force officer. and Die in a plane crash like he just gets his end away. Yeah. Yeah. And, it's and quite it, a jolly it, song, isn't it? And a prostate massage. Oh my God, John. The cavity search is bad enough. Oh God. The line, when I felt the one sweep over me, you know, I never felt so clean. It's such a niche fetish. It is. He's fetishizing her. Yeah. He likes to be manhandled by, by you know, authoritative women. Mm. Which again, putting, you know, everything else to one side, that's quite an unusual angle for Stevie Dan and Don. Mm. Yeah, because they're powerful women. Yeah. But I think, you know, we got from like Asia onwards, we kind of get more powerful women. They're not these women of disdain that yeah. we see like before those. There, there is like a, there's a change in their psychology in the way that they view women. Mm. Yeah. Uh, I, probably because Mrs. Fagan and Mrs. Becker sat them down. I like to imagine that's what happened. <laughs> they staged an intervention like and were just boys. like, right, listen, we've listened to my old school. You're not barred college <laughs> yeah, exactly. anymore. Move on. <laughs> Grown men. You've got children. Yes. <laughs> A really like uncomfortable like dinner. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> where the two wives like kind of just like, right, we've got something to talk to you about. Oh, they were really shitting themselves. Yeah. And they're like, yeah. fuck. <laughs> and here you said this <laughs> <laughs> oh dear that's what I imagine happened let's, let's never find out the truth let's go on record as we are want to do on this podcast mm. and say that is what happened mm. that is we were literally there. The me and you were there at that we were there now. we were like we this were... is we just came away just like that was really awkward really awkward yeah. sat at the end of the table so going oh god, god John that was horrible <laughs> I didn't know where to look. <laughs> oh, my God. Look, I feel really bad for laughing because the next song, oh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to wind it down a little bit because yeah. the next song, actually, we should probably do a little trigger warning for the next song about yeah, suicide. We yeah, we do because it. this is it's very tender. Really tender, really sad. But it's... 
fucking heavy. Um, yeah, it's very heavy. So we are going to talk about suicide. So if you want to skip, please do. Yeah, this one is, again, about 9-11. Yeah. I looked at this quite superficially, this song. Not It's hard to be superficial about a song, which is so blatantly sad. But I felt whether Mona is this person who's been so deeply traumatised by what happened. They talk about the fire downtown, which is obviously what happened. And she's so traumatised by it that she doesn't want to leave her apartment. And she only goes out at night. She stays in her Chelsea Tower, as he calls it. The Chelsea Hotel, isn't it? Mm, Yeah, 40 stories up. And the story is almost from the perspective of her friends talking about how they're kind of lamenting the loss of this very sunny, happy person who is now really sad. And, And they're talking about anticipating what they see as as the inevitable, where she will take her own life. The whole tone of the song and the words he chooses are really tender and really kind and that really sad. It's a really sad song. Yeah. Talking about the city heat and also he hopes he lands gently on the floor and, and that kind of thing, which I found just really, I don't want to say the word sweet, it's the wrong word, but I did wonder whether Mona represented loss a loss for New York, whether Mona was like this perceived freedom and safety, because it seems to suggest that Mona takes her own life every day. Yeah, what he says... try not to see the writing on the wall what happens tomorrow i think that's just like mourning isn't mm. there there's this struggling to get past and every night everybody's trying to raise themselves mm. the cd spinning ac humming feeling pretty but that's the thing is she seems quite happy but that little line but at night though yeah everybody's like had a drink you know the day is done And now it's time to let loose. New York is a very night city, isn't it? Yes, it is. The city that never sleeps. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, It's a heavy song. It is a really heavy song. And I didn't realise quite how heavy until I read all of the words. But there's this mention of light again 
in this mm. song. She says she's had it hard to hear with light. And then later on, they talk about the moon rays get so bright when she rises towards the starlight. Mm. When did the Freedom Tower get completed? Because it wouldn't have been at 2006 at all, would it? No, I don't know. Because they shone the two lights up before they built the tower, didn't they? Yeah. I feel like that's something of significance, this idea of this is a thread throughout the whole album. Is that some kind of comfort? I don't know. Because I think, for me, there's like an element of PDSD mm. in this because it's like this kind of repeating cycle but, and, and everyone's just like, oh, it's, it's happening again and we don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. Mm. Mm. It's about grief and trauma and and let's look above the city. Mm. Until today, I never really gave much thought, which is probably a bit sort of short-sighted of me, about how 9-11 would have affected musicians, especially American musicians and especially musicians in New York. Because it's a liberal city, isn't it? It's quite cool and uh, left-wing and... And then this happens and it must have been... Fagan and Waterbeck are from New York. Mm, yes, yeah. And, and they, yeah. they relocated to LA and they spent pretty much their whole career saying how much they fucking hate LA. Yeah. And then this happens mm. on 9-11 and it's almost like a coming home record it's almost like a kind of a, a reckoning, isn't it? And just being like, this is my city mm. and I need to understand what happened in my city, yeah, my home. Mm. It does feel a little bit like Donald is trying to work through a lot of shit yeah. to album. Mm. Yeah. yeah. Because you can't even, I can't even imagine what that must have been like. I'm, I don't have like a hometown particularly. I've moved around a lot. So I don't have like a particular affinity with any particular place, but they both love New York. They both really felt, they've always felt like New Yorkers. Yeah. And having something like that happen to your city. The city of like unbounded freedom. Just, yeah, must have been fucking horrendous. Yeah. Yeah. I live in my hometown, but it's not New York. It's pretty similar, though. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So actually, at the end, I wrote, huh, don't know, at the end of this, because it's just a really sad song. I feel like this is quite significant for Donald. I feel like this is him kind of exploring his own feelings about Mm. what happened. Yeah. My final note in this was, Don, your melody is killing me. In In a good way. Like, again, vocally, just... Beautiful delivery. Mm, that CD spinning, AC yeah. coming, feeling pretty, mm. floors me. That's prime Steely Dan. It's so visceral. It's You can imagine exactly this person and what they're doing and how they're feeling. Just little kind of scene that he's painted. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. It's a really sad song. It is really, really sad. But it's not mawkish. It doesn't pull its punches. It's just very, it's just very tender. Very tender and kind in a way, isn't yeah. it? And accepting. Yeah. Mary shut the garden door. Shut the front door. 
don't know what I said there. <laughs> but, well, it's quite interesting that you did say that because I think it's the same thing. Do you think this is a return to sci-fi? Because I don't think this is a return to sci-fi. I, I think do. this... Okay, go for it. Tell me. Right. This is why this is a return to sci-fi. Hit me. They say... King of the world. King of the world. So it's like an explosion. And then they say, rough dreams, those voices in the kitchen. I woke up and sensed the new condition. They won. Storms range. Things changed forever. It's about a robot uprising. <laughs> I don't think it is. Then he says, because he says, so if you ever see an automaton in mm-hmm. a mid-priced luxury car, so it's like a robot driver. I think, because he talks about an opiate in the brain. Opiates, poppies, Afghanistan. Wow. 9-11. <laughs> it's a zombie reference again, which is a common reference in Steely Dan. Yep. And he talks about this automaton. Is that somebody who's been radicalised by Al-Qaeda? Hell. See? Hell. The old brain's still working, mate. <laughs> Fucking hell. So I think the Lincoln cars are the aeroplanes. Okay. And I think that... This is, again, this is an allegory. It's a metaphor for the planes crashing because he talks about the storms and nothing's the same. Wow. Looks a lot like rain. These things coming from the sky. You remember the videos in 9-11 when all of that shit was coming from the sky? Yeah. I kept thinking about the significance of a garden door. And now you've just said that. It's referring to America as Eden. Yes, John. Now you've got that. I didn't get that. I already had that Eden idea in mm. my head anyway. Mm-hmm. That's what it is, isn't it? It's mm-hmm. like we've opened the gates and this has happened to us. We need to close the gates of Eden again. Yeah. Yeah. And that's when he says, better roll the sidewalks up. Yeah. Mm. Fuck. Yeah, that's. I actually really like this song. Irrespective of the lyrics, I love how it's kind of quite bass driven, isn't it? But actually, really quite sparse. Mm. Um, I I wish the whole record sounded like this. mm, Yeah, it's got a really hooky chorus as well, Mm. hasn't it? Yeah. I don't mean hooky as in dodgy, fellow cockneys. (laughs) (laughs) Hooky. Yeah. (laughs) And it's got Keith Carlock on drums. What a revelation. He's fantastic on this. It's just a dream to listen to. But yeah, I really think that's what it's about. And he says, when we heard the engines idling, saw the headlights through the blinds. To me, an aeroplane, it's crashing down. Yeah. Isn't it? Yeah. But then it wouldn't be, would it be kind of accelerating? I'll retract my sci-fi take. Okay. I have realised while we've been having this conversation that this whole record is about 9-11. It's about 9-11, the whole album, part like, like two songs, two probably, songs. Yeah. yeah. H-Gang and What I Do, yeah. the only two songs that aren't about 9-11. Everything else, even Security Joan is about 9-11. Yeah. <laughs> the funny song about being probed by a woman at the airport. By a powerful is, security Yeah, guard. it's about 9-11. 
And that's why I've been really moved by this album, because it feels like Donald has been just kind of sitting with these feelings and what happened Mm. and how it affected him, his city, his friends, probably his family and his perception on everything. He was never a fan of the Bush administration. He's fairly liberal chap. Mm. And he would have found that a really difficult thing to sit with, I think. Everything Must Go is pre-9-11, and this is like his first kind of statement Mm. post. One thing we haven't picked up on is his brother died in 2003. And his his mum died as well. mm, And he's obviously grappling with death. Mm. And how everything is ephemeral. Yeah. And it's interesting when you think about this idea of the ephemeral, how everything is transient and how fragile everything can be. Yeah. I'm getting a bit deep here. Welcome to (laughs) Lizzie's ephemeral chat. It's kind of blown me away, this album. Yeah. It's not something I'd listen to of choice. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I'd rather like whack on Asia. Yeah, yeah. I think everyone would just rather whack on Asia. Having learnt about the album and learnt about what it means and then approaching the reprise of Morph the Cat at the end, which is in a different key. Is it? Well, it's... Have you not noticed? No, I haven't. It's like in a slightly minor key to the original and then it changes. Yeah, it's almost like this kind of sad conclusion, like wah, wah, wah <laughs> at the end of the album. Well, I think it kind of like, it ties it together. It makes the record circular. Yeah, it does. And it kind of reiterates that New York slash America is in this constant state of reeling from this mm. like horrific situation. Mm. And especially because he says... Blessed Yankees have an ally. Yeah. This safe, purring animal. Rictus grin. Rictus grin. Cat blimp. <laughs> like gaseous cat blimp. <laughs> gaseous cat blimp. I might use that as one of my statuses somewhere. <laughs> just the gaseous cat blimp. It should just be the description for this episode. <laughs> yeah, Gassius Kaplan. Yeah, it's a crazy album. And yeah, the reprise at the end. And there's something about the very final kind of trumpet at the end of yes. the reprise, which is really different, which is almost like... Military. Kind of, yes. Yeah. Yes. Almost like like The Last Soldier or like, you know, is it The, the last, last Post? The Last, last post. post, yeah. yeah. Yes, that's what really put me in mind of. Almost like the war on terror that we're yeah. going to war now. And I feel that nobody is, not to blow our own trumpet, no one's really had a grasp on this. No, well, you know, this is why we are the only 
<laughs> Definitive Steely Dan podcast. It's what I do. <laughs> Beautiful. <laughs> so next time. Circus Money, the last Walter Becker records. Yeah, sorry we didn't do the other one. <laughs> we are going to um, do this one. We are going to do this one. Even though um, it's really difficult to find. So thank you very much for listening. Thank you. And we will catch you next time. Yeah, we'll see you in two weeks. Bye. Peace out. This podcast is a proud member of the BFF.FM podcast network. Learn more at podcast.bff.fm. BFF.FM, best frequencies forever.